I'd like to have you turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Now, I don't know what Mary did. Uh, she leaned against my iPad and uh, some things have changed. <laughs> oh, there you are. <laughs> I have no idea what happened. But it's getting prettier as I keep pressing buttons. <laughs> wow, that's nice. <laughs> Okay, we'll go with that. As I mentioned, I began the, uh, the retreat uh, this past Friday uh, evening uh, for the men. The theme of, of the retreat is on your bulletin cover. Pursuing Christ-likeness in perilous times. And uh, as we began in that, uh, in that theme, I was given the uh, topic of the grace of God as it pertains to the person of Noah. And I began with the, the theme passage, which is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I'm only going to give you one verse uh, because I've done actually a few uh, studies on the issue of the perilous times in which we're living in, in the last year. But in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, well, well verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, and we all have come into agreement We've all come into agreement that we are today living in those perilous times. And I wanted to establish for the whole of the retreat the question or, or, or the attitude that needed to be based upon the question that is found actually in Ezekiel chapter 33. So we, we looked at uh, this particular passage in Ezekiel 33, verses uh, uh, 10 and 11, where God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to the house of Israel. And he says, Therefore, o thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel, thus you speak, saying, in other words, you are saying to me, as, as the house of Israel, you're saying, if our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away, which means we rot away or we or we waste away in them, how should we then live? And I, and I said that this is the question that we have to ask in these last days as believers in Jesus Christ. How should we then live? Because this was the question that the house of Israel, the people of God, were asking God in the midst of their sins. And the answer, at least in, in verse 11, was, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? So the focus 
was not only in the fact that there was a perilous world that they were living in as the children of God, but much of the peril that they were going through was also within the house of Israel. It was their sins that God had been reminding them of their rebelliousness, their, their disobedience to God. And when we look at the days and times in which we live today, we see exactly the same things happening in the world. We're in a very perilous time in the world, but there's a lot of things happening in the church that bring to mind the deceptions that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. And so in Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, it says that Jesus answered, said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And we're living in a time where even in the church that is considered the church of Jesus Christ today, there are these deceptions. Deceptions about who Jesus is, whether he is the Christ or, you know, the, or how we redefine who the Messiah is. Matthew 24, verse 11, many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And so there are times when we have people, even on TV, giving false prophecies about the end times and the days in which we live. Or false prophecies that say, we don't have any problems whatsoever. All you need to do is trust God and he's going to give you everything that you need. And even the things that you want. And you can prosper in, in so many different ways. Matthew 24, verses 23 and 24. Then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. And we see these things happening in the church of Jesus Christ today. There's signs and wonders movements. There was even something that Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, many will say in, uh, to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do great things in, in your name and all? And, and, and the Lord would say, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I, I don't even know you. I don't know you. And, and this is what's going on today. There are churches today where you can go in and sit down and they'll give you cups of coffee and, 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 and sit, you know, and, and nobody opens a Bible they talk about certain things, you know, nice things or maybe moral things. They might even say something about Jesus. But they don't study God's word. This is where we are. That makes the, the perilous times even more perilous. When you read everything else that you, that you see there in 2 Timothy 3. And the selfishness that is being said. The appearance of, 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 of following after God or being spiritual or being religious and, the, and, the, and, and Paul would tell Timothy from such turn away so that brings us here to the time of, of Noah in Genesis chapter 6 because of something that is said about this man and we begin by looking at the perilous time in which Noah lived Verse 1 of Genesis 6 says, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all 
which they chose. Now, I have to tell you that a few years ago, I did an extensive study of this in the, in the book of Genesis. Extensive, so much that if I were to begin to explain all of this, it would take us three hours to get through this, so I'm not going to do that. Those of you who remember those studies, please remember what I said. Those of you who didn't, just understand this. Let me put it this way. It sounds, wow, sons of God, daughters of men, they get married, oh, they have children. What's so bad about that? Well, let's read on. The Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. Now, that's the first indication that something about the little uh, uh, things that were happening with the sons of God and the daughters of men is quite uh, telling here. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. Now, in the context of all of that, you put the giants together with the sons of God and the daughters of men, and you begin to realize, okay, who are the sons of God and who are the daughters of men? And there are many different theories about it all, but when you begin to compare what was happening in those days and times, the sons of God was actually a title given to angels, the daughters of men being the daughters of human beings. And they were having some kind of relationship in, in such a way that brought about these giants on the earth. Because when you look at verse 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that could only imply that whatever these unions were, were, that were being formed were very wicked unions. They were, as some people say, the attempt of the enemy to kind of bring about his own race of people, to, 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 you know, to mimic or, or to counterfeit those of God. So it is a bad thing that we read here. This is a perilous time that was being described. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. Now this does not mean that you know, God said, oh, I wish I hadn't done all of this. It is a human understanding of saying, you know, here God is saying, you know, that, that all along, you know, he knew what was going to happen. But we, we, we put this understanding, you know, from, from a man's perspective, you know, upon the Lord. It grieved him in his heart. Because the Bible does teach us that sin grieves God. And the most wicked of sins grieve God. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, and it repenteth me that I have made them. But, verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And that is our key verse. It goes on to say, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and, a perfect, and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all the flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through, through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now let's consider for a moment and remember how wicked man had become after the fall in the garden. Man, with the help of the servant and his fallen angels, 
had made the earth a cesspool of immorality and a, and a society of lawlessness and violence. Man was living to fulfill the desires of the lusts of the flesh, living for the cult of beauty and sex, living for wealth and possessions, position, power, recognition, and honor. Man had forgotten God altogether and was living only for himself and to gratify self. Man was not fulfilling his purpose for being on the earth. In fact, he was working against the very purpose for which God had created him. I'm talking about Noah's time, but it sounds a lot like ours. May I say that this all happened in a relatively short time? In a relatively short time, these things happened. In essence, man was destroying both the earth and himself as he stood in complete opposition to the Creator and to everything that God stood for and had purpose for his creation. And so God had no choice but to destroy man and to wipe him from the face of the earth. Could there have been a more bleak and dark picture painted of the utter depravity of man in his rebellion against God? You know, it's hard to think so. And what about God's promise? God had promised that there would always be a godly line of people upon the earth, a godly line through whom he could send the Savior to the world. How could God destroy man and the earth and still fulfill his promise? And yet, as those dark thunderclouds of God's wrath against human sin are, are at their most threatening, a small crack appears and grace shines through. And the promise of a new day dawns. Isn't that always great about God? That when things get the darkest, there's always a light that shines. There was one man who would remain true, true to God, up until the day of his death. And that man was Noah. Verse 8 says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One man responded to the strivings of God, the Holy Spirit, and was saved by grace. Saved by grace. While the Lord had commanded all the earth to be cleansed of this ungodly pollution, he found one man with whom to begin again. His name was Noah. And it brings to mind the, the very principle that we see throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. And that is where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And what is more significant about verse 8 and the person of Noah, and what is most significant about this person of Noah is what the verse doesn't tell us. It doesn't say that he earned grace. It says that he found grace. It doesn't say that he worked for grace. It says that he found grace. More on this amazing grace shortly. When you look at the times of Noah, it doesn't take much imagination to guess what was going on in everyday life back then. The people had disregarded God. 
They might have talked about him in conversation, but certainly he didn't occupy a place in their lives. And more than likely, by the time of Noah, they weren't talking about God at all. They may have been talking about the, their own gods, the gods that they had created of, of themselves, and by themselves, and in the image of themselves, but they weren't talking about the God of creation, the God of Noah. Religion had become an academic exercise, something they may have done when there was time to do it, but not a way of life for them, unless, as I said, they were worshiping things in nature or things that they had created. Morality was determined by personal choice rather than by God's standards. Oh, am I talking about Noah's time or am I talking about our own time? We're talking about both. And the reason we know this is because of what Jesus has said. Because in Luke chapter 17, now I want to remind you that Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 what is called the Olivet Discourse of Jesus. Uh, these all are, have similar things that he said to his disciples about the time that is to come, about the last days, about the end times. And in those places as well as here in Luke 17, this thought is given. So listen to what Jesus said in verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, notice that, as it was then, so shall it be, in the days of the Son of Man. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be, in, or so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, stop, everyday life. Until, it says, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. And I'm here to remind you that when Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and, and of course, Noah and his family were rescued and saved from, from the flood, that is a picture of the rapture of the church. Just remember that. And then in verse 28, Jesus said, Likewise, as it also, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. Everyday life. Except for one thing. Verse 29. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. As it was in the days of Noah and Lot, so shall it be the coming of the Son of Man. And by the way, may I mention to you that when Lot was taken out of Sodom, that is a picture of the rapture of the church. So these are the perilous times that the Apostle Paul was alluding to in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He was alluding to times of intense selfishness to intense violence. In fact, the word perilous means furious, violent times. There was extensive corruption, or there would be extensive corruption. There would be extensive wickedness and demonic oppression. 
And then we are reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. As in verse 18 where it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And I can tell you that there are a lot of people that will not teach this or preach this any longer from pulpits. Because they don't want to step on anybody's toes. They don't want to offend people. I didn't get up this morning to come to offend anybody. I came here this morning to proclaim to you the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And we can't stop that because we think that we're going to offend somebody. Jesus stepped on enough toes and we know where he went to the cross. But he came because he had to do that. If he doesn't come to do that, where are we then? We're not saved. But he knew that all along. Because of, the hearts of, because of the hearts of men, the wickedness in the hearts of men. And the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, we can understand when people in the world want to suppress the gospel of Jesus Christ, when they want to hold it back so that nobody hears it, right? The ACLU, the atheists around the world today. But when people in the church are suppressing the truth, that's even more perilous. So when you have an opportunity this weekend, read the rest of this passage in Romans chapter 1 and compare it to what we see happening in our world today. Because what we see then is the days of Noah and the days of Lot here in Romans chapter 1. Three times in this passage, the Lord gives the ungodly and the unrighteous up to uncleanness. He gave them up to vile and unseemly affections. And he gave them over to a reprobate mind. In other words, he gave them over to a mind that was unapproved and rejected by God. And please, when, you know, when, 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 when some people see this and they hear this, well, how, how could God be so cruel? How could God be so uh, narrow-minded? <laughs> But God has given so many opportunities for people to come to him. And they choose not to. So uh, please understand this. From the very beginning, God was a God of life and has always been and will always be. It is the enemy who is about death. God is about life. That's why he says to his own people, turn ye, turn ye. I want you to live. But he gave them over to a reprobate mind. A mind that was unapproved, rejected by God. A mind that was by implication literally and morally worthless. And a mind that was cast away. Of no good. Now may I say to you that between all of these things where we stand with God and love God and love his word... And the, the other extreme of everyone who just hates God, doesn't want anything to do with God. There's a lot of people in between. Many of us were there. We may have been brought up in a, morals, in, in a moral household. We may have been brought up in, in, you know, to hear, but, but we were never really brought to the, the truth and the understanding of what Christ came to do for us. 
These are the people that we want to share the love of Christ with. We want to share, share it with all, and we need to. But the point of the matter is, God is serious about what he says about how he has to bring things to an end so that he, be, so that he will create once again or, or bring about once again a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. We'll talk about that later. But he gave these over, the ungodly and unrighteous, to do those things that are not fitting. Notice, if you will, go down to Romans 1, verse 28. We'll read down to the end. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. That's a heavy one. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, in other words, having a heart that has no feeling toward others. Implacable. And this is one that gets me. Implacable. It affects the church more than, more than most of the things we see here, but it affects the church in this way. Implacable means to be unforgiving and unable to be appeased. Unable to be pleased with anything that anybody has said. I mean, just, just, I will not forgive. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have been told that we have been forgiven of our sins. And we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. As we have been shown mercy, so are we to show mercy but an implacable person. And the sad thing is, there are implacable people in the church today who for even lesser things will not forgive another person. And sometimes they're sinning in the same room. God is serious about how we need to be with each other. And the next thing is unmerciful. They, they go together. But it says, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I mean, that's a really, really dead heart. Unfeeling heart. So combine all of these things in Genesis, Luke, and Romans, and certainly a few other books in the scriptures, and you get a pretty good picture of the condition of the world in the time of Noah. So we have to ask the question, why Noah? Because it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, simply, that means that Noah found favor in God's sight. And we know the result of that favor. Escape for him and his family from the flood. But what is grace? What is grace? The Hebrew word for grace is, is the word chen. K, you, would, you would spell it in English, K-H-A-N-E. Chen, 
kind of a ch, you know, sound for the H, chen. <laughs> but it's a beautiful word nonetheless. Because it, it, it means undeserved favor. Unmerited favor. A favor that we don't deserve. We don't deserve it. So what does that say about Noah? Because we need to understand how he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It, it is, there, there's a principle that we see with the Lord that the more degenerate and corrupt the times, the more definite the testimony. The more degenerate and corrupt the times, the more definite the testimony. What, am I, what do I mean by that? Well, in other words, God always has his special person. God always has his special man. A Moses, an Elijah, a Daniel, a David. And before the flood, he had Noah. You know, it's, 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 it's hard not to think that this man was energized by God himself. I mean, he was endued with power from on high. I mean, listen, you go out when you're 500 years old and you build a, a massive boat. All right? And then build it until you're sometime in your 600s. I'm in my 60s, man. I, 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 I shudder to think that I could even begin to do what Noah did in building the ark. So that takes some energy from God, doesn't it? That takes God giving him supernatural strength to do. And certainly he had help from his sons, I'm sure. Those young boys that were, what, 200 years old or whatever. But the very fact that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord implies that he was getting something that he didn't deserve because grace being undeserved and unmerited favor implies that he knew that he was a sinner. He knew he was a sinner. He obviously had access to the truth and believed God. And when you do a careful counting of the days that the earliest people in the line of Seth lived, you discover that Enos, the grandson of Adam, was still alive and did not die until Noah was over 80 years old, just a mere child. Noah was raised in a believing family, and, and so to have found grace, he had to have seen himself as a sinner in need of God's undeserved and unmerited favor. And so what we need to know about Noah in pursuing Christ's likeness in perilous times is that he was a forgiven man. He was a forgiven man. That's where we all need to begin with the grace of God, to know that we are forgiven because we acknowledge our sin before God. We acknowledge our need for a Savior. We acknowledge our need for cleansing. But he was also a faithful man. You're taking notes, that's the second point. He was a he was a forgiven man, and secondly, he was a faithful man. Notice verse 9 of Genesis 6. 
These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. I, I love the fact that here uh, we, we find that he, you know, the generations of Noah are mentioned, and then we hear about Noah. And where are the generations of Noah? They're, they're in the next verse. But here he begins by pointing out the character of Noah as a just man. He was also a righteous man. He was a lawful man. That's what just means. He was a righteous, lawful man, which speaks volumes about his faith and trust in the Lord. He trusted the Lord with all of his heart and believed the Lord with all of his heart. He put his faith and trust and dependency upon the Lord with all of his heart. And so therefore, whatever the Lord told him, he would do it. A just man is a righteous man who lives right before the Lord. And we should, we should indeed know that the prophet Habakkuk and, and the apostle Paul both made reference to the statement that just shall live by faith. And when we trust the Lord implicitly like Noah trusted the Lord, when we put our full weight of dependency upon him, and upon his word, we are exhibiting a moral relationship to God, which means that we truly fear and reverence God and his word. We fear and reverence God and his word. So the question that we must ask ourselves in pursuing Christ's likeness in perilous times is, do we fear and reverence God's word? Secondly, as a man that was perfect in his generations, Noah was whole and complete. He was entire. That is a good uh, a definition for the word shalom, even though there's another word used here for, for the word uh, perfect. But the word shalom is, is, is the same understanding of wholeness and completeness and having peace in the wholeness and completeness of what God has given. Noah was whole. He was complete. He was entire. He was without blemish, which means, by the way, not sinless, but blameless. Noah, again, acknowledged that he was a sinner, but he was not, but he was not a, a sinless. He was blameless. He was upright and sincere. He was full of truth and integrity. That's quite a definition in just one word, the word perfect. But that was Noah. He was blameless, but not sinless. The example that I use is, is this morning when you got up, as believers in Jesus Christ, you were saying, well, you know, we've got to get ready for church, and we're looking forward to worship the Lord together and all of that. But, you know, we get up because we say, Lord, we want to serve you today. We want you to be honored and glorified. We want you to be blessed by our lives today, right? That's, that's pretty much what we do in the morning sometimes, if, you know, hopefully before the first cup of coffee. But if not, at least do it after the first cup of coffee. But don't wait till the second cup of coffee, then we don't know where you're going to be, right? All right. No, you get up and, and you, you want to serve the Lord, but none of us, none of us who love Jesus would get up any morning, any morning and say, you know what, today I think I just want to be nasty. I want to be nasty and I want to be cruel and I want to go out and I want to hurt people. You know, I want to kick, you know, sand in somebody's face today. I just want to do that. 
None of us begin that way. But we may go out and because of certain circumstances that happened before us, you know, we're tested, you know, our, our, our faith is tested or, uh, you know, and, 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 and we might say something or do something that we know was not right. And then immediately, immediately the Holy Spirit convicts us. And, and so we're on our knees and asking God to forgive. That's being blameless because the Lord hears and brings us back. Knowing what we have to do. And even if we stumble, we come back. Not sinless, but blameless. Does that help to understand that? Okay. So for him to be perfect in his generations suggests strongly that Noah had found, if you will, a new center of gravity for his life in God. What do I mean by that? Well, here it is. The word generations there, perfect in his generations, that literally means to go in a circle. To go in a circle. As a planet goes around the sun, so Noah's life revolved around the Lord. Noah's life revolved around the Lord. He was perfect, complete, whole, a man of integrity, because his life revolved around God. So the second question we ask ourselves in light of our pursuit of Christ-likeness in perilous times is, do our lives revolve around the Lord? Thirdly, as a man, Noah walked with God. What a beautiful picture that is. Noah walked with God. Which also implies what? God walked with Noah. That's an even prettier picture. Noah walked with God. Literally, you know what it says? Literally there, it says that Noah went along with God habitually. He went along with God habitually. You know, when you go along with somebody, you're, you're going along with what they believe, with what they say, with what they know, with what they, with what they proclaim. And so whatever God proclaimed, Noah said, I want to go along with that. See, that's walking with God. It isn't arguing at every point, Lord, are you sure you want me to do that? Because I've been praying and I know I pray to you, Lord, but, you know, I want it a little softer here on this side, that side, this way, that way. Open a little more door over here, Lord, for me. No, no, walk, when you walk with God, man, you go along with what he says. Because you always know that he has good for you. Even if you even if you if if you if you struggle, you know you find certain things that you have to deal with in life. God has He said, "I haven't left you. I promise I'd be with you." So what are you worried about? I'll get you through. Walk with me. You go along with the Lord because He gives you the wisdom to deal with whatever you face. So that, that again, that's the force of this statement, walking with God. This is how he manifested his righteousness and his integrity. Noah found a greater attraction in the Lord than he did in the wicked civilization in which he lived. That should be our testimony as well. That we find a greater attraction in the Lord than we do in the things of this world. Now I'm not here to say this about any of you, okay? So understand this. 
But something really bothers me today in our, in our society about this Pokemon Go stuff. You know that we, we are supposedly a, 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 a hot spot for a Pokemon and they, people drive through our parking lot every day. I want to shoot a bazooka. Stop them and say, go someplace else. I'm not against the game. I, I don't even know what it's about. I mean, I don't know anything about Pokey. Nothing. Pokemon, Pokewoman, I don't know. All I know is they become a problem on Sunday mornings when we're trying to leave the place and they're trying to drive through with their phones to see you know, if they pick up whatever they're trying to get. I mean, it's crazy. People are so attracted to the things in this world, but I mean, our, for us, the Lord needs to be our attraction. What we are attracted to every day. Just, okay, don't, don't play solitaire all day long on the computer, but you can play whenever you, you know, just need to, a couple of minutes, okay? You'd get mad at me if I said, don't play solitaire all, you know, don't play solitaire at all, you know. I'm not looking through your window, you know. Okay, got it? Good. I play word games, by the way, you know. Some of you play with me, so you all know. But it takes me a long time to answer. <laughs> Trying to be busy about the Lord's business here. The only other person of whom it was said that he walked with God was Enoch. And by the way, Enoch was a relative of Noah. Methuselah, Enoch's son, was Noah's grandfather. He had to have been drinking in all of his granddad's stories of Enoch walking with God until his amazing walk ended in glory. You remember about Enoch, you know, he walked with God until he was no more. Why? Because the Lord took him, just had a great time with Enoch and just took him home. And another picture of the rapture of the church. But in walking with God, Noah would have called on the name of the Lord. He would have called on the name of the Lord. Now they were already starting to call on the name of the Lord back in chapter 4. But Noah definitely called on the name of the Lord. Noah definitely sacrificed unto the Lord because that's what he had learned from his ancestors. And he worshiped the Lord. And they didn't have a Bible like we have. They had the word of God that was passed down from generation to generation. And so the question for us to ask ourselves as we pursue Christ's likeness in perilous times is do we in our lives call upon the Lord each and every day? Do we live lives of sacrifice unto the Lord? In other words, that we look for those opportunities to say, you know, this is more important than myself. This is more important than my schedule. This is what I need to do unto the Lord at this present time. And do we worship the Lord? Do we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth? And by the way, the The third thing that, uh, that Noah was, he was a forgiven man, he was a faithful man. Third thing was, he was a fruitful man. He was a fruitful man. Notice verse 10. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Three sons. Some of you have more kids than that, right? 
That doesn't sound like very much fruit until you realize that from those three sons, every man, woman, and child on the planet descended from these three boys. That's a lot of fruit. It's all in the perspective, isn't it? Well, what else did God's grace affect in Noah's life? Because those aren't the, three, the only three points that we need to look at. Yes, he was forgiven. Yes, he was faithful. Yes, he was fruitful. But Noah was also obedient. He was obedient unto the Lord. As a matter of fact, two verses uh, make that clear. Genesis 6, 22. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. In other words, after the Lord has explained to him what he wanted him to do as far as building an ark. In Genesis 7, verse 5, it says, Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him, as he was given even greater details about the ark and all. He was a man who just did what the Lord commanded. We learn from the book of Hebrews that Noah's obedience came from faith. Noah's obedience came from faith. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 7. It says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Now understand what it says. By faith, Noah, being warned of God. Go back to Genesis 6.13 where God tells him what he's going to be doing. Being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. In other words, he began to move with reverence and fear to the things that God has said to him. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So all the things that Noah did in his obedience was because he trusted God and believed God. He never questioned God. But Noah not only lived a righteous life, he also proclaimed the need for righteousness even though he lived in a very ungodly world. And what we learn about Noah in the book of 2 Peter chapter 2 is that Noah was also a preacher of righteousness. If you look at 2 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. I only read that so that you can get a picture of where we're going, because the next verse then says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. So while we don't see Noah preaching in Genesis, in the book of Genesis, the, the understanding is implied that all of the time that he is serving God and all of the time that he's being obedient to God and building the ark, he's also preaching. Noah, why are you building a boat where there's no water? What kind of an idiot are you? He says, listen, the God who created all things, the one true God, is coming to judge this world because of the wickedness of men. And they probably called him crazy. But he continued to preach righteousness. Get right with God. There'll be room in this ark. There'll be room. Well, I'm going to put a few animals in there. They're going to smell a little bit for a while. But there'll be room. And there would be. 
When you consider the dimensions and only the species that God put into the ark of all of the animals, but it, it, all he had to do was take a couple of them, even though he took a few more of others, there would be room. The door would be open, but no one came. And then when the raindrops kept falling on their heads and water began to rise up from the ground, the Lord put Noah and his family into the ark and closed the door. But the door remained open until then. We don't face the promise of a worldwide flood because the Lord said he would never destroy the world again in that manner. But man does face the promise of a coming judgment that involves destruction by fire. If you go to the next uh, chapter, 2 Peter 3, verses 9 and 10, most of you are familiar with verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the heart of mercy, the heart of God's mercy right there. The heart of God's grace is right there. That he would give undeserved favor and he would give mercy to those who would come to him because he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. In view of this promise, what does Peter call upon us to do and to be? Let's read on. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. This is a judgment that is coming. Peter is not just saying, I, I think some, some cataclysmic thing might happen. No, he says, listen, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these things are going to happen. God is not going to destroy the world again by, by water, but he is going to destroy it by fire. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness? Does that not sound like the same question that was asked by the house of Israel? How should we then live? What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation or conduct and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? wherein the heavens being on fire shall be, be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, 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 we, speaking to the believer, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth where, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, shalom, without spot and blameless. Like whom? Noah. Like Noah. So let me wrap this up now. Be just in God's sight. Be righteous, live right, and lawful in God's sight. Be perfect, complete, whole, 
Paul tells us in Colossians, you are complete in him, in Jesus, if you have truly believed in the Son of God. Be perfect in your generation. In your generation means your life revolves around the Lord. Walk with God. Go along with God. Walk with Him. Do all the Lord commands. When we struggle in anything, just say, Lord, help me, and He'll give you the strength. But walk with Him. Do what He commands. And then, because there's still time, let others know about God's righteousness. Because when Noah preached righteousness, he was preaching something that he wasn't able to give, but only God can give. Do you know what our righteousness is today as believers in Jesus Christ? The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. Jesus is our Yahweh. Sitkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. And I leave you with the last two verses here of chapter 3. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Just be careful through this life. Be steadfast in the Lord, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Don't rest assured. Don't rest assured in thinking that just because you may go to church every Sunday that that's all that we need. We need to know Jesus. And we need to be known by him. We need to believe him. We need to trust that what Jesus did on our behalf, he really did it. And we believe in the effect of what Christ did for us. That he saved us, that he cleansed us, that he's purifying us each and every day, and that he'll strengthen us until that day when he comes. And therefore, Jesus himself said, keep looking up and lift up your heads. Your redemption draweth nigh. It's coming. So be ready. Amen? Pursue that Christ-likeness while we are in these perilous, perilous times. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you, and we bless you, and we praise you, as always, knowing that we need you, Lord, more than we need the air that we breathe, the water that we need to drink, the food that we need to eat. Lord, we we. We just need you more than all of those things. But we're thankful that you provide those things that we need. We ask you, Father, now to, to just move upon our hearts. Allow us not to take anything for granted, but to truly seek you and to seek your face, that we might know you and know the blessing of your calling and know the blessing of your salvation and know the blessing of your sanctification in our lives so that we might live each and every day filled with your spirit to do those things that honor and bless you. So we call upon you now to fill us, Lord, with your wisdom and grace continually. In Jesus' name, amen.
and amen. Shall we stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May he fill you with his spirit and use you this week as, as a light shining in a lot of dark places where we may go that you will be salt to the earth, a redeeming influence for some people. And may the Lord fill you with his joy, because in spite of what we see in this world, we are to be the most joyous people in all the earth because of what Jesus Christ has done and what he's going to do. And so, may he continue to lead you and guide you and fill you with all of his goodness. And remember, God's in control. He's always in control. There's nothing ever, there's never a time when he is never in charge. He is sovereign and he's worthy of our praises. Amen? Amen. Well, okay, I guess I better sing. <laughs> As we seek your face, may we know your heart. Feel your presence, acceptance, as we seek your face. At your feet we fall. <laughs> 